Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 479 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. It's just Jill today. I am so excited for this episode. Um, you know, when we this is one that I did from PLA um, back in February. And, you know, when we do these interviews, we set them up with the publishers well in advance of the show. And of course, Adam and I get asked by other coworkers, um, you know, are you interviewing anybody at PLA or BEA or whatever the show is? And I'm not kidding. Every time somebody would ask me, particularly if it was a um, a woman who was about roughly my age, this is important, someone who was like about my age and so probably read the same kind of books I did um, growing up, if they asked, you know, who are you interviewing at PLA, one of the first things I said was, have you ever read the face on the milk carton. Yes, yes, friends, listeners. Today is an interview with Caroline B. Cooney, um, who is the author of the iconic Face on the Milk Carton. She has also written many, many, many other books, but that is a personal favorite of mine. Um, she has a new book out called Before She Was Helen. It's a book for grown-ups, is the term she uses, which I love. It's not adults, it's for grown-ups. And I got to interview her all about um, this book, and it was a delightful conversation. I loved chatting with Caroline about this book, which takes place in a retirement community, very much like the one um, she lives in, and she talks about how moving to her retirement community kind of set off the, the thought process about the book that became before she was Helen. I will note that um, in the interview, I'd mentioned that the book um, was supposed to come out in May, and originally it was, and then it's one of those books that got pushed to September because of everything going on with um, the pandemic. So the book is coming out, um, and I'm so excited. I had a wonderful time. She shares towards the end, we start talking about libraries, and she shares this amazing story about a librarian. Um, there's actually a couple stories about librarians, but there's one in particular that is just so charming. You're like, you know, yes, that's why people love librarians, especially when you're a kid and you're, you meet librarians for the first time. So if you want to get a hold of us, you can go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. We are on Instagram and Twitter, at ProBookNerds. And you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. I don't think there is anything else going on right now. Um, yeah, I think that's it. So I hope you all enjoy this interview I had with Caroline B. Cooney on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hi, 
Hi everyone, this is Jill, and with me I have best-selling author Caroline Cooney. She's author of several standalone books and multiple series, including The Vampire's Promise Trilogy, Time Traveler's Quartet, and my personal favorite, the Janie Johnson series. She does, however, write other books, and her latest one, Before She Was Helen, is out in May. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, I'm so pleased to be here. Thank you, Jill. So can you start by giving our listeners a brief introduction to Before She Was Helen? Well, I moved to a place called Sun City so I could be near my grandbaby. And this fascinated me from the minute I drove in. I knew I had to set a book there. The houses are identical. I couldn't even find my own house without pressing the automatic garage door opener and seeing what went up. People are remarkably friendly. I never made so many friends so fast, but you know nothing about them. Hmm. Say, what did you do? Oh, marketing, whatever. Listen, can you can you run the bake, you know, it's not a bake sale anymore, but it, can you help with the pinnacle club? They don't, the past is irrelevant. So suddenly you have all these friends that you made overnight who live in a house exactly like yours, and you know nothing about one of them. You could be anybody. And of course, right away, I wanted to be anybody. <laughs> um, but the thing is, I, I don't really have the guts to be anybody in real life. I can't actually lie to people in real life, but on a book, I can totally create that. You even know the floor plans of each other's houses. So if you were in a house, you would know where the pantry is, okay? And, and that means if you're, if you're um, a bad person, you would definitely know how to scoot around in somebody else's house without permission. And so that was my first thought was, okay, what a great setting. And then I thought, huh, I wonder how many YA readers, because that's what I really right. read, uh, want to read a book set in the retirement community, probably zero. So <laughs> it's time for me to start writing for grown-ups. And that was so incredibly exciting. And when I did write this book, I was just so thrilled. Sourcebooks bought it, and they have come up with the best cover. Are you going to show a picture? It is so good. It is so it good. It is such a good cover. Everything they've done is good, and I'm as excited as a kid. It's it's just a whole new world for me, and it's it's a kick. So in, in that sense, you know, because you're so used to writing for younger audiences, how did you approach this? when it came to writing for grown-ups? You know, it took a while because this has much deeper topics, much more profound um, difficulties um, that you would never introduce to a 12-year-old audience. Um, and so you can, you can probe a lot more deeply and you have more time. The book is going to be longer and, um, and you can approach things that you wouldn't even think of for, for junior high. And, and so I loved it, but I have to say it took longer to write than a YA because it was a new experience for me. Right. Were there any challenges you came across as in, like, in that regard? I think the biggest challenge was I chose to set it in the actual Sun City where I live. And every now and then I'd write it and I'd think, boy, I hope I can stay here after <laughs> this is published. <laughs> but I think I can. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Um, so I know that on your website you talk about how when you plot a story, you usually ask yourself, what if? And so I'm assuming with this one, it was a little bit of that, what if, you know, you come to this community and nobody knows who you are. Well, the what if in this one is also 
that sometimes people my age are not too certain of internet usage. So what if you took a photograph of something you should never have photographed when you're in a house you should not be in, uh -huh. and you send that picture out there without really grasping that the person to whom you sent it can now push it out everywhere there is, and this is going to have repercussions. And what if you live on a different name, which ever since I wrote the Janie books, I've been riveted by people living under a name not their own. Right. And I came up with a dozen different endings for those books, but I couldn't use them. And here was another way to use them. But, but this is a much darker reason. Well, I guess you couldn't get darker than the Janie books, but, but this is also dark. Okay. So she's hiding under another name, but she's my age. She's in her 70s. She's been using this false name for more than half a century. And she realizes she has left her fingerprints in this house where she took a picture. And she's not supposed to be. She's not supposed right. to be there. And the police will be called because what she took a picture of was stolen goods. So what is she going to do? She cannot risk having her real self revealed, even though nobody where she lives cares. Right. But the police might. So um, I wanted her in true jeopardy, and she is. But her neighbors just go about their blithe way doing yeah. their Sun City things. Yeah. So I, I'm sort of curious, um, as someone whose name is so well known, obviously as a writer, is there sort of some, this idea of like changing your name, is there some appeal to that to kind of have some anonymity? To write it under a different Or just name like myself. in general, like as someone who's so well known, do you ever sort of think, I just run away and change my name? Always. <laughs> it's just head wet. That's right. Be a different Nobody has person. to know. I have never been anyone named Jill. Maybe it's time. There you go. Um, yeah, it does, but it's, but I didn't. There was a time when I was writing YA books, and I, I really wrote like 75 of them, that I wanted to have one name for the, for the thrillers, and one name for the romances, and one name for the time travel, but the editors were ferocious that, no, you stick yeah. with the one name. So I'm sticking with this so, name. No, it's a good name. Thank People you. know you now. <laughs> See, that's part of it. So you start with these what-if questions. Do you plot at all, or do you just sort of start with that question and just see where the story takes you? I plot pretty heavily, and that's because very early on I wrote a lot of books for Scholastic, and they required, or this editor, Anne Wright, required a first chapter and a complete outline. Oh, wow. And that was so difficult, because you don't really know where a book is going, but they required it because it might be part of a series, you couldn't write in your book what they'd already done in book 11 or they were planning for book 40. And so I learned the discipline of really planning ahead. Do you find that stifling at all then? I mean, now that you don't have to do that? Oh, because you can abandon it. It gives you, it gives you a shape, it gives you an idea. Um, you're not just rushing headlong. I've, I have written a lot of stuff where maybe the idea wasn't big enough for a book. Or I went the wrong direction, and like the book is really over here, but I've made this bad turn. If you have an outline, you don't have to follow one word of it. 
but at least you've got you have something. a foundation to yeah. launch yourself from. Yeah. And now we'll take a quick break for a word from this week's sponsor. So I used to think that eating better meant hours of recipe research, multiple trips to the grocery store, and hours of meal prep, none of which is fun. And then I met Freshly. So Freshly understands that food needs to be delicious, healthy, and simple. Because let's be honest, if it's not easy, I won't do it. And if it doesn't taste good, I don't want it. With Freshly, you can avoid the grocery store and enjoy fully prepared dinners delivered fresh, not frozen, right to your door. So put up your feet and relax. Freshly's chefs and nutritionists do all the hard work. All you do is heat for three minutes and dinner's done. And it's so good. It's also good. Like imagine, better for you, golden oven fried chicken. It was delicious. Or creamy springtime risotto. And fall apart tender beef brisket. That's just a few of the 30 plus health conscious options to choose from. To join the almost one and a half million satisfied customers and skip the shopping, prepping, cooking, and cleaning up, Freshly is offering our listeners $40 off for their first two orders at Freshly.com slash ProBookNerds. That's $40 off your first two orders at Freshly.com slash ProBookNerds. Again, that's Freshly.com slash ProBookNerds. So we are, of course, at a library conference, and I assume as someone who has written a lot of books, especially for younger audiences, you have a lot of familiarity with libraries. I'm a real library hound. And when I first moved to Sun City, it was, it was uh, quite new, and they had helped pay for a new branch library adjacent to Sun City, and I couldn't wait. This is kind of a selling point. I get there, it was a new library, the shelves were empty. And I walk in and I go, um, excuse me, libraries have to have books! Oh no! <laughs> so I got, um, I got a uh, library card in Charlotte, where we're next door, so that I was using both Charlotte and then this one. And then I found out another little town called Rock Hill, I could use that one. So now I was a three library person, then I found, at any rate, I'm often a three library person, I am right now. Um, but I just love libraries. And our little tiny library has gotten so big and so wonderful, we're putting on an addition. So it's just, I love our library. And the youth librarian, children's librarian, Cheryl Brown, at this library was so terrific. One day I said, okay, I'm required to have a Facebook author page, <laughs> which I have no idea how to do or why. And would you do it for me? So she knew everything because librarians do. They know everything. They, yeah. It's like amazing. So she runs my Facebook That's so cool. <laughs> But that speaks a little bit to what you were saying in the book about how, you know, older generations, there's all this stuff they don't necessarily know about technology. Or, and it can be hard to work up an interest. Yeah. It, it really is not your generation. And 
So I sort of think, well, my grandchildren are good at this, so I don't have to be. Well, that's true. They can help you. Yeah. Um, I do have to wonder, you know, for your grandkids, and I guess your children too, like, what is it like having you, this really well-known YA, and just author in general as, as a grandma? <laughs> you might not be able to answer that question. I don't know. Well, my middle daughter, um, Sarah, has sort of been an, an editor of mine all these years because I would hand her the rough copy of whatever I was doing and her response was always, Mom, this is fabulous. <laughs> so naturally she was the first one I turned to. <laughs> for everything. She still does that, so that's a riot. Um, my, uh, my son and I did my, the next book I'm doing with Sourcebook because he's acquainted with the scenes in the world that I'm not. And I knew I wanted to write about them, but how? So he was the reason I was able to write that one. But he basically doesn't read, and so he'll never know whether it was a good book or not, or whether I quoted him <laughs> because he's not in the book. <laughs> and my daughter, older daughter, the minute digital books were available, she's in Maryland. They have, uh, I think she can get uh, Baltimore County and Carroll County. I mean, there's nothing she can't mm -hmm. get digital. And she cannot believe that I stick to paper. Well, I do read a lot on my, on my iPad, but I love paper. I love holding it. I love looking at it. I love yeah. filling up a bookshelf with it. So I'm both, but she's 100% digital. There's, there's room for both. There's room for both. <laughs> if a person wants to have both. <laughs> so is the one, um, your next one, is it also an adult book? Do you see yourself continuing writing adult books, going back to YA? I do. No, I don't want to go back to YA. Okay. <laughs> I, and 75 is enough. Do you think it's enough? I think, I think it's that's enough. enough. I think you have <laughs> earned the right to not write for that audience anymore. <laughs> Besides, all they yeah. ever care about is face in the middle. I'm so sorry. Oh god, that's so mortifying. Now that I was all like, <laughs> it's not mortifying. It's what everyone says. Every and sometimes I want to go. There were others. I know. You know? I know. <laughs> no, it's to me. I said I was as excited as a kid because it's a whole new world. It shouldn't be new. I've been reading them for half a century yeah <laughs> but it's new as a writer yeah and, and it's so exciting to me well you know I, I think actually I think it works out for you because you have this you know this well-established audience of people my age you know ish um who have read your YA books and now we're older and we can come back and you're ready so we're ready for your adult books so this see is good news. it is this is great it works out very well and everyone with whom i play pinnacle and, and canasta are lined up to buy it so i mean like so you said that you know you said it in um this place where you live are there like is there stuff pulled from real life in here like are your neighbors going to recognize themselves I certainly hope not, <laughs> uh, because this is this is 100% fiction. Okay. If they recognize themselves, I'm going to take a lot closer of a look. 
<laughs> you're like, that's on you. That is you. That is not me. <laughs> no, they won't recognize themselves. Okay, that's good. <laughs> um, we have something we call the Nerd Nine, which are nine sort of lighthearted questions. Don't put too much thought into these. What is the last book you finished reading? Would you believe that I decided to reread Agatha Christie? And one of the advantages, one of the libraries I use is very old, so they have all the old books. <laughs> you know, that's that's a good so, thing. So I just started again on Agatha Christie. Her books are so good. Yeah, you never get tired of them. You it's been don't. a long time since I've read you them. You don't. Oh, they're so good. And then there were none. Is probably one of my. It's like my favorite. It's really, just... I haven't. I didn't read that. Oh. I'm doing the Miss Marples. Oh, first. okay. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Um, your favorite place to read? Well, I have a couch, which has a lot of pillows, and I slouch down and I cozy up under my blanket. <laughs> and that sounds I read, delightful. I read for hours. <laughs> that sounds delightful. What book, what book made you fall in love with reading? Quite a question. I know. I, I had wonderful elementary school teachers, and one of the one of the early books I remember was a uh, an Indian captive story, whose name I probably can't come up with, but I loved it. And the librarian, of course, said, "Here's a Lois Lansky Indian captive story," and I read that, and that was when I discovered librarians know stuff. So they I do, and I, so that you could just say, "I love this," and they would say, "And and you'll love this." So I think it was definitely elementary school, and it was through the wonderful librarians there. Do you want to hear my best librarian story? Absolutely. I borrowed a book called *The Lost Queen of Egypt* when I was maybe third grade. It was very thick. I don't think I knew there was such a thing as history, let alone ancient Egyptian mm -hmm. history. It took me forever to read. It was much longer than anything I had ever read. And then it had to be brought back to the library, which normally I didn't mind. But I didn't want to give this book up. And in those days, the librarian sat on this wide desk, and you signed out your book with your hand on a little card. And I took it back. I couldn't bring myself to put it down, so I told her everything that had happened in the book. She tapped the table for me to put it down, and I said, I don't want to give it back to you. It's a very old book. She took the book. She opened the drawer of her desk. She got out the discard stamp. She stamped it discard. I still have. Oh my gosh, that is the most amazing That's story. 65 years ago, <laughs> honey, I still have it. Like, as soon as you, I mean, I, I'm a librarian, I used to work, and as soon as you're like, she pulled open the drawer, I knew exactly, I was like, oh, that is amazing. Yeah, that is the power of librarians. It. Yes, it is the power of librarians. Aww. It is a life-changing occupation. That is wonderful. Um, what is one place you would like to travel to that you haven't been to yet? <laughs> You know, I'm not much of a traveler. Okay. Everyone in Sun City travels everywhere. They're always going on cruises and trips and tours, but I like to read. So I might pick and I might, I love Google. 
you can say mysteries set in the Hebrides or something, and up it comes. So I might travel that way. I'm, I'm really not a big traveler. Okay. Um, your favorite holiday? Oh, Christmas. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Cats or dogs? Well, my daughter has a cat called a tripod. Three-legged cat. They, her husband really didn't want them to have a pet because it would jump on the kitchen counter and be unclean. Well, so they go to the shelter and they go, he's agreed to a cat, but it can't jump on the counter. And the shelter <laughs> said, I have the cat! <laughs> so it was, the cat had lost adorable. a leg. So our favorite cat now is a, is a tripod cat. And uh, she's not mine, but that's That'll the cat work. we love. <laughs> favorite food? Macaroni and cheese with bacon. Ooh. That sounds really good. It is really good. Let's run out and have some. Sounds great. <laughs> um, if you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would you pick? I, my mother, I think. I, um, my mother was a brilliant woman and a great reader, and she got dementia. Oh, it's just the most terrible thing. And I would love to erase that memory and have dinner with my mom the way she was. Finally, what would you like readers to take away from before she was Helen? I want them to be on the edge of their seats reading it. And when they get to the last page, I want them to say, perfect. That is a wonderful answer. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, Jill, thank you for having me. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily... That's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately 7 minutes.